stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, once again, focus on the question of how Canada's justice system deals with the worst of the worst. And two cases today that certainly highlight the worst of the worst. Bruce MacArthur and Alexander Bissonnette. Uh, two convicted multiple killers. Obviously different circumstances, although both did target vulnerable groups in this country. Bruce MacArthur, of course, who targeted Toronto's gay village, murdered eight men. Alexander Bissonnette, who stormed a mosque in Quebec City, murdered six Muslims, tried to kill more. Should individuals like that ever have an opportunity to apply for parole? Certainly given the magnitude of their crimes, it's unlikely they would ever receive parole. There was, of course, the question as to whether the families of the victims should have to go through the angst, the emotions of a parole hearing. Now, just over seven years ago, uh, the former conservative government uh, made a significant change in our sentencing laws that allows for consecutive terms of parole eligibility to be imposed upon multiple killers. And it's been used about a half dozen times so far. I believe the longest that's been handed down, it's been handed down a few times by the courts, is a parole eligibility of 75 years. Now, given that in both instances there are six homicides that would apply to these provisions, there's the possibility that today could have represented, in one or maybe both cases, the longest sentence ever handed down. Does not appear as though that is going to happen. In Bruce MacArthur's case, the judges opted for concurrent parole eligibility. It is set at 25 years, although he is in his late 60s. We've not yet got the sentence handed down for Alexander Bissonnette, but the judge's comments earlier suggested that uh, he felt 35 to 42 years was in the range of of what would be appropriate. Now, that change that I referenced has been challenged in courts, although it has held up so far. Maybe eventually the Supreme Court will have something to say, and there is an argument that's been advanced that, that it violates Section 12 of the Charter, cruel and unusual punishment. That Typically in the Canadian justice system, life hasn't meant life in prison. But if you're going to sentence someone to life in prison with no parole for 150 years, that's essentially what you're doing. So how do we approach this question? Joining us for some thoughts on all this, very pleased to welcome to the program, Catherine Latimer, Executive Director of the John Howard Society. Catherine, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Well, what's your view on on how we approach this difficult question? I think it's important to remember that the maximum penalty that the courts can apply is a life sentence. And I'm sure in both of these cases, the life sentence will be applied. And then the question becomes access to the community and whether or not that sentence can be safely managed in the community. And you will find that many um, prisoners who have received life sentences and have uh, committed multiple murders are never released on parole because of the safety risk that they uh, pose to the community. So the paroling authorities are in a much better position to know the progress that an individual is making and the type of risk that they would pose if they were released on parole. So extending the parole ineligibility periods beyond 
25 years to, as you point out, 70 years, um, really doesn't take into account the prospect that individuals can change and be safely managed in the community. Right, but it reflects uh, um, the severity of the charges, doesn't it? I mean, two murders is more serious than one murder. Five murders is more serious than two murders. Uh, No question about it. And um, I'm quite convinced that if there's a difference between a multiple murder and a serial murder, okay? So a person like Mr. MacArthur, who needed to frame the criminal intent to kill more than once, is slightly different in terms of the risk factors that he presents than someone who may, under a uh, you know an, uh, a period of mental health and instability, kills a lot of people in one in one go, like a school shooter or something of that nature. So these people are posing different risks to the community in the long run, and you really need to be able to assess that based on the individual's change over time. Uh, Last year, uh, this was before uh, a judge in Ontario who upheld the constitutionality of this, uh, Justice Kenneth Campbell, said such offenses cause greater harm, greater moral culpability than cases involving but a single murder, and therefore often deserving of greater punishment. Would you disagree with that? Well, the maximum punishment that's available in Canada is a life sentence. Since we've done away with capital punishment, the maximum is a life sentence, and these people will be getting life sentences. They will, yes. Um, however, there is the opportunity to, to apply for parole. Do, even if it is unlikely, are you suggesting there is value in that being there as almost uh, a, a faint hope to the, to the convicted murderer? Absolutely. Absolutely there is. Um, people of John Howard Society and others do believe that, that people do change and have the capacity to reform. And if you're sentencing effectively someone to die behind bars, uh, it's, it's, it creates the same moral problems as, as capital punishment. The importance of having some capacity for hope, some, some belief in the, in the redemption of individuals is extremely important, not just for um, the moral sanctity of society, but also for uh, preserving safe uh, prisons. If people have no hope, uh, prisons become much more dangerous. But are we are we sending mixed messages here? Because you say that this this hope needs to exist, but with people like Bruce MacArthur and Alexander Bissonnette, there, there's no chance they'll ever get out on parole. Um, many people who've committed multiple murders murders do not get out on parole; they die behind bars, and that has to do with parole board assessments that the risks that they pose cannot be safely managed in the community. But to deny people the opportunity to present a case as to whether or not the risk that they pose can be managed in the community is effectively consigning them to a death. What makes 25 an ideal number? In the case of uh, Alexander Bissonnette, he's still, I believe, 29 years old. Um, In all likelihood, he'll, he'll be alive 50 years from now, for example then he becomes eligible for parole. As many um, multiple murderers and uh, serial killers have become eligible for parole, but it certainly doesn't mean that they would be granted parole. No, but in that instance, is is 50 years cruel and unusual punishment, or is 50 years, I I don't know if it's going to be 50 years, but would 50 years in, in that instance be appropriate in your view? 
my view is that they shouldn't be extending the parole ineligibility periods, uh, that the uh, existing parole ineligibility periods are adequate, uh, and they provide adequate change for people to be able to demonstrate whether they're capable of reforming and to demonstrate what kind of risk they would be posing to the community if they were, if their sentences were being managed in the community. Right. But I mean, for example, we recognize a greater severity, a greater culpability for first degree murder as opposed to second degree murder, even though both entail a life sentence. Uh, 10 years is the minimum parole eligibility for second degree murder. 25 is the first for first degree or the the minimum for first degree murder. Uh, So what's to say 30, 40 or 50 shouldn't be a a, a minimum or or reasonable expectation in the case of, of people like this? Well, my view would be that there that there should be a, even a greater latitude for paroling authorities to take into account whether or not someone has uh, reformed themselves and are capable of being managed in the community. That the 25 years is is kind of an arbitrary um, statutory requirement. That there's nothing at the time of sentencing that will tell you what kind of risk the person would pose 25 years down the road. Uh, the the important thing is that a warrant of committal for the, the person's entire life underpins the sentence, mm-hmm. and that's the maximum sentence that they can give. All right. Do you, do you see this as a, a charter issue, or are there Section 12 issues that, that are relevant here? Yes, I do see it as a charter issue. And so should the Supreme Court weigh in on this? Um, I think they should, particularly for the ones where you're seeing 70 years of parole ineligibility. And what's the objective then in in taking a different view? Uh, you, you suggest it's about what is it about? Is it about simply having safer prisons so that these inmates are, are encouraged to be on their best behavior? Is there is there a broader principle that that we should be taking under consideration? Uh, safer prisons would be a byproduct, but the important thing is to ensure that people have some measure of hope that they are not being sentenced to die in prisons. All right. Well, we'll see what comes with Alexander Bissonnette. Uh, the conversation, of in, course, will continue. Indeed, we will. Yes. Yeah. Thank you Catherine very much. Catherine, I appreciate your perspective. Thanks for joining us okay. here today. All, all right. right. Take care. Uh, there you go. That is Catherine Latimer, executive director of the John Howard Society, offering a different view on all of this. We heard, of course, from uh, former Crown Prosecutor Scott Newark the other day, his thoughts on why this is important. Uh, a different view. One I, I don't happen to agree with, at least on this count. I, I probably would agree with the John Howard Society on, on other matters, but uh, not on this one. Not on this one certainly seems reasonable to me that for the worst of the worst, we send a stronger message. There is a principle of denunciation that is a factor in sentencing, as even the Supreme Court has noted. But that objective mandates that a sentence communicates society's condemnation of that particular offender's conduct, that it needs to be appropriate in the circumstances. Somebody who brutally murdered eight people is an example of the kind of crimes where there needs to be that message sent. Somebody who murders six people in a house of worship because they belong to that particular faith, that is deserving of that kind of condemnation. Yes, look, Bruce MacArthur is going to die in prison. He was essentially handed that sentence today. What hope does he have that at the age of 91, he's going to apply for parole? What are the odds that he's going to make it to 91? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible. But to think that that for those eight murders, 
or the six murders committed by Alexander Bissonnette, that that would actually result in a lower period of parole eligibility than other cases we've seen where fewer people were murdered? So no, it, it doesn't seem appropriate. It doesn't seem like enough. This should have been the day where the longest sentence is handed down in a Canadian court. Should have been. And it doesn't appear as though they will be. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.